He said in the book of Isaiah chapter 6, beginning of verse 1, In the year of the king Uzziah died, I, this is Isaiah speaking, saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, and each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did die. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved as the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And then said I, Woe is me, Isaiah cried out, for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphims, uh, then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from, uh, with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then said I, Here am I, send me. Let us pray. Father, I'm thankful that the privilege of being in this place today, and I'm thankful for this beautiful day that you have blessed us with. What a glorious privilege it is to be in the Lord's house with your people and those that need to be and want to be. Father, I thank you for the fact that you that were dead is alive and is alive forevermore, and I'm glad, I'm glad that because you live, Lord, we can live also. I praise you for being in our midst. I pray that you would bless this message, God, as you have blessed it before the, of the hundreds and thousands of times it's been proclaimed for your people. And I pray, God, today that it might find a lodging place in our hearts, God, that it might move us in ways that you have designed for it to move us. Save the lost. God, I pray if there's any man, woman, boy or girl in this place who is lost and undone on their way to a crisis eternity, I pray, God, that you would heal them of their spiritual blindness. I pray as you open the, uh, the tomb on the resurrection morning. And I pray, God, as you open the hearts and the understanding of others on that same day, that you do the same this day in the life and the heart of anyone that does not yet know thee as their Savior, we'll be sure to give you the praise, the honor, the glory for we ask it. In that name that's above every name, the name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior, and all of God's people said. I want to draw our attention back to verse 1, just simply as a text verse for this message. Isaiah said in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. I want to talk to you today just for a little while about improving our vision. We're living in a world, one of the greatest uh, needs the world thinks is to improve their image. You know what I believe we'd all be better off to do? Just be honest with ourselves, honest before God that our image is bad because we're sinners in need of a Savior. So I'm not going to preach you what maybe Joel Steen or Stephen Furtick would preach to you if he were your pastor. And you ought to say, thank God, neither of them is. I'm going to preach to you about improving your vision. 
Anybody in here beside me ever been to an, an eye doctor, an optometrist, or, or an ophthalmologist? I, you know, I remember going when, I don't know, I was just a little fella, about three, four years of old, and they put those big old heavy sets of glasses. You're looking like this before they put them on you. And about like that, you're like that. I mean, they were heavy. Do y'all remember those? Anybody else as old as I am remember that? Well, they may have changed what they put on you to check your vision, but they follow the same kind of principles. They'll get you fixed up, you know, put you behind that screen, put a light on, cross the room from you, it's got some letters on, and they'll say, read line such and such. And uh, then they'll say, read, what's, what's, a, what's, what's the last one you can read? Well, they'll begin to do tinker with this, tinker with that. They'll change this, they'll change that. They'll turn knobs and say, all right, now, is this better or worse? Would you like one or two? Is it this one or that? Is it here or there? Y'all, y'all know what I'm saying? Well, you know what, friend, listen, in order to improve your vision, listen now, you got to be honest and you got to pay attention. Now, if you're unsure... You know what I always do, and you're not supposed to do this, I don't think, is say, can I see that other one again? You know, I want to make sure. Vision is important. It changes things in our life. It helps us walk better. We won't stumble as often. Hey, listen, it's a better world when we can see physically, and so is this, when we can see right spiritually. Now, I imagine most of us would agree that we have a problem in America today. And look, if I say it that way, hey, everybody can say amen. Thank you. But I want to bring it down. We not only have a problem in America, but because of who we are in America, we have problems in our homes. We have problems in our churches. We have problems in the White House and every other house that there is. I mean, we got to be honest. And yet, friend, listen, we may wonder why this scripture that I've read in your hearing is going to tell us. And we've got to be honest. We've got to have uh, something done. The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs 28 or 29 and 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. Now, look, I'm going to tell you something. I, I could spend some time explaining that, but let me just say this about it. You say the people perish. What do you mean, preacher? Well, it means we miss things that we ought to have that we could get. And I don't know about you today, but I'm going to be the first to admit I need a better view, a clearer view of who God is, what he is, and where he is today. You say, Why? Because I'm telling you, these are no ordinary times that we're living in. I'm 70 years of age. I've never been this old before. And I'm going to tell you all something else. I've never seen our nation, our world, like I'm seeing it before. You know what? We, listen, I don't care if you're older than I am and you've heard this all of your life, every day, every day of your life. Jesus is coming, friend. It's not any more true than it is today. And he is coming. And if you want to go, when he goes, if I were you, I'd hit the altar now. I'd hit the altar running. I wouldn't wait till I got down to the end for the altar call. I'd just simply let it all go and get on my knees and fall before him, even prostrate on my face and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now look, friend, we need a vision, a correct vision that will bring the right results Brother, sister, you, you and I need to ask ourselves a few questions if, if you don't care. I'm going to ask you, and I'm asking me, where is God in our life? 
Is he the center? Is he on the is he on the edges? I mean, is he a convenience? Is he a necessity? What is our vision that we have of God? Is he our old buddy? Is he just the big man upstairs? Is he just, you know, somebody we call on when we need him? What kind of God do we see when we see him? Do we see him as a grandfather figure that, well, you know, that's yawning and tired and, you know, just pats his grandchildren on the head and say everything's all right? Or do we see him as the Word of God presents him as holy, high, and lifted up, the great I am that I am? Do we fear and tremble when we go before him because we want to reverence him? Do we want to run away when we get in his light and all at the same time feel drawn to him like a, like a bug on a night light or a moth at a light at night? Hey, look, there's only one of two ways. Listen, friend, or when we see him as a God of our own making or is he the God of the Bible? I want to tell you what, friend, if we don't see him as he is, as the Word of God presents him as, the one true God, the holy God, the sinless God, the God of light, the God of life, hey, listen, our Creator, and one day soon our judge. You need to go to the doctor today and get your vision corrected. We need to get our vision corrected. Look here. I want to look at three things quickly. Number one, I want you to look at the, the scene that is set before us in verse one. It was in the year the king Uzziah died. Uzziah was a great king. He was a godly king. I mean, God used him mightily. If I remember right, there was a great revival during his reign. He, he was one of the few godly kings that there was. There was no godly kings out of all the history of the 10 tribes of Israel after the 12 tribes split from, 10, from 12 to 10 and 2 after the, after the reign of Solomon because of his sins and idolatry. In the southern kingdom, which is known as, the, uh, as Judah, down at Jerusalem, that had two tribes that, that stuck together to follow the Lord and to obey him. A friend, look, there were some godly kings, but not all of them were godly, but Uzziah was. And listen, friend, we ought to weep. We ought to be concerned when godly men and women step off the stage of action. And it affected Isaiah. He was troubled down to the depths of his heart. You know what? I'm telling you, friend, listen. There are things that we ought to be able to discover. A great king had died, no doubt. Uh, Isaiah was troubled, and he ought to have been troubled. Uh, been troubled. Uh, but you know what he soon discovered? He discovered that although one king died, thank God there is a king that lives forever. Man, we ought to be happy about that. We ought to be shouting about that, actually. Look, not only, not only the scene, but I want, to, I want to show you the place. He goes, let me read this again. He said, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high, lifted up, and his train filled the temple. The scene uh, was that, the setting or, or the place is in the temple. 
We can see him in his word. And listen to what I'm going to tell you. We ought to be able to see him in the houses of God where we go to worship. If you agree with that, say amen. But the sad part of it is in too many places they call themselves churches. He's not anywhere to be found inside. Turn quickly to the book of Revelation chapter 3. Look at verse 20 with me. This is, this is written to the church of the Laodiceans. It is the last part of the last letter that Jesus had John, uh, John um, the apostle, uh, write as his, as his secretary, if you will, as he was taking dictation and writing these letters, seven letters to seven different churches. To me, it's one of, if not the saddest pictures I read about and look at anywhere in the entire Word of God. Because there we find Jesus standing on the outside of the church. This is not a picture of him standing, sinner friend, or saved brother or sister. It's not a picture of him standing on the outside of a sinner's heart knocking to get in. When we rightly divide the Word of God, we must take things and understand them in the context of the passage where we find them. This is a letter to a church that had become so rich and increased with goods that they felt they had need of nothing. It was a man-centered church like we've got popping up all over, not only America but the world. Look here. If y'all believe I love you, I ask you if you love me. Look, say amen. I do. But I'm not here to make you feel better. I'm not here to make you happy. I'm more concerned about your holiness than I am your happiness. And you get holy, I guarantee you'll be happy. I'm not here to tell you you're going to get rich and have it all and how to be the best you you can be, but I am here to tell you how you can become more Christ-like than you've ever been. And this church, one of the things that makes Roxalana different than a lot of churches, not all churches, we're not the only ones that's this, we're a Christ-centered church. Everything that we do is about him. It's for his glory. It's for his honor. It's for our good, but it's about him. And look what it says. You see Jesus standing on the outside of the door of a church that he bled for, he purchased with his blood, empowered by his spirit and trusted with his word, knocking to get in. I'm telling you, friends, it's a sad, sad picture. If you go with me here in the book of Isaiah really quickly, look, I, 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 I don't want to take a lot of time here, but I've got to take some time to get this across. Look at verse 11 of chapter 1 down to verse 15. And God was talking to his own people Israel, his people that he had, that he had redeemed out of the land of bondage, brought into the land of promise, prospered them in many ways. Friend, look, manifested himself to them, gave them the word of God. He begins in verse 11. Chapter 1, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams, the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs and of, the, and of he goats. Verse 12, when you come to appear before me, who, who hath required this? Have thine hand to tread my courts. Now look, how, look at how paradoxical this is. God commanded all this. I'm not done yet. That they had done it, 
at the behest of his word. They had done it to obey his command, bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies. I cannot away with. It is iniquity even, even the solemn meetings. While your new moons, your feasts, your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are trouble unto me. I'm weary to bear them. When you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Isn't that amazing? They thought that they were worshiping God. And God was saying, listen, friend, you're hypocritical. I mean, to tell you, you think you're doing it for me. You're doing it for yourself to be seen. Hey, look, when the heart's not in it, when we don't have the right view of God about it, it is a hypocrisy to try to worship God. Didn't get much help on that, but I'll say, hey, man. And folks, that's what's happened a lot in America. I don't know about you, but we need to improve our vision. We, I'm talking about we. If it can happen in other places, it could happen with us. Look at not only the place, but look at the, look at the person back here in chapter 6. He didn't see just anybody. He didn't see a man sitting upon a throne, but he saw the Lord, the Lord. The one of a kind Lord, the definitive Lord. He is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He's speaking about God. He's speaking about the one true God. Can I tell you what? There are many gods, the Word of God says, that are no gods. They're man-made, but they don't exist anywhere but in the mind of God. I mean, let me set it straight. The God of Islam and the God of Christianity are not the same. The God of Islam is a false God and the God of Christianity is the one true God that is, was, always shall be. And listen to me, everybody listen and say amen. Sinner, saint, we'll all meet him one day. Not as we think he is, but as he is. I'll probably say that again. That was so good. Not, not only we see his person, we see his position. I like this. He was sitting. You know what that speaks to me? Now, I know when we talk about Christ uh, sitting after he finishes work, it, it refers to a, a finished work. But here it means something else. I mean, to tell you, listen, he was settled in who he is and what he is and where he is. I mean, to tell you, it's a done deal. I mean, he was, he was sitting uh, upon a, a throne. And a throne is a picture of authority and of power and of rule and reign. And what we've got a picture of here is God sovereign over all heaven and earth. Not a question. Not a question about what he's sovereign over. But look at his position. He's sitting. That's referring to that he is prominent. In fact, he is more than prominent, he's preeminent, meaning he's above all, above all, friend, listen. He's high, he's exalted, he's lifted up. And listen to me, this is what this message is about. We need to see him as he is and remember that, not as we want to see him, not as we think he is. 
but as he is. Now you want me to tell you, maybe my theory, and I think I could prove it out, why we try to make God something that he isn't or make him appear to be something that he is not? Because we think it makes it easier for us to approach him. You know one of the reasons that people run from God instead of to him, even those that are the children of God? It's quite, it's quite of a unique thing. The closer we get to him, the more we see wrong about ourselves. We, we, we realize how perfect he is and how imperfect we are. But that's, listen, everybody listen right now, say amen. That's all the more reason to go to him. If Adam and Eve had ran to him after they sinned in the garden, we wouldn't be in the mess we're in tonight, today. But aren't you glad God came seeking after them? Though, he ran, so they, though they ran from him. We need a high view of God, do you hear me? Let me say that again. Thank you, Josh. We need a high view of this holy God or we'll never be convicted of our sins. Now, I'm going to ask you something person, a person, Everybody in here is saved. Say amen. Now, look, I, I don't know how to ask you to react to this, but I want you to be honest within yourself. How many of you have in the last five years? That's very generous. Very generous. Some of you, it's not been five minutes you've had a bad thought. Oh, either say amen or ouch. Hey, I know how the enemy works. You know it's harder for you all to sit there listening to me than it is for me to be up here speaking to you. It's harder work. And just to say this, it, it's just hard work because it's me speaking to you I mean, God has graced people to love their pastors. Isn't it amazing how he does that? But look, unless we see him as he is, we, we chances are, won't, we won't, we won't admit our sin. When's the last time in the last five years that you've approached God and been honest with a sin in your life? Not a mistake, not a failure, not I messed up, but a sin. There's some of us that have reoccurring, what the Bible calls besetting sins. And yet we won't take them to God because when we get close to Him, we sit and we want to run away. The only way to get rid of it is go straight into the light. Now I know some of you think you're holier than what you are, but me and the Lord know better. I'm not trying to upset you either, but I know human nature. I've got one just like, just like you've got. And you say, have you repented? Oh, you don't know at the times I repent. See, I'm going to tell you all something. You're going to get real puffed up here the first thing I say about this. But wait just a minute. I'm going to let the air out of your balloon the last thing. If you knew me as I know me, you wouldn't be there listening to me preach. But if I knew you as you know you, I wouldn't be here preaching to you. So it works both ways, right? Hey, look, friend, we need a view of God that is sure to motivate us to love him, honor him, live for him, and tell others about him. We need a right view of God. A right view of God will change a wrong view that we have about everything else. Oh, that was good. Let me say that again. Maybe I'll get a little more help this time. A right view of God will help us to have a right view of all the other things that are wrong. 
That's better. See, we're in this thing together. By the way, could I encourage you when our choir preaches every now and then to say amen? You don't have to, you don't have to clap. I get tickled sometimes when we clap after we sing. It's kind of like, well, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're not sure. It's, you, know, you know, I mean, it's, it's sort of funny. I love it. I know y'all love our choir, right? I mean, I know you do. But look, if you get into it, with that, I mean, it just helps things. It gets things ready for pre. I'm just doing a little pastoring right now. Do you hear me? Are y'all okay? All right. Far too many churches in this day and even Christians have gotten, have, have gotten or are getting into trouble because their views of God have been diminished. Let me tell you all something today. It is not our job to bring God down to us. It's God's job to bring us up to him. We ought not to worry about his position. It's satisfied. It's settled. It's done. It's unchanging. What we need to do is work on our position. See, we need to see him as he is, not as we want him to be. That doesn't help us. Brother, listen. We must never diminish him, but we must always make much of him. Do you know what churches are doing and how they're failing in one gross manner? They're trying to appease the culture of the day. They're trying to lower the standard. They're trying to make it, uh, what do they call it? Well, not that, but they're doing that, sadly, but acceptable to society. You know what we would be best doing for this society is boldly, clearly, repetitively proclaim the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and preach. You need to either repent or perish. You see, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And nothing else will bring it. Nothing else will set sinners free. Nothing else will do. We need to be making much of God, not try to bring him down so that men can accept him. Can I tell you what? We ought never present Jesus to a sinner as if he's a beggar. The sinner ought to be begging Jesus for eternal life, for grace, for mercy, for life. Not only do we see his position, but we see his person. Look at what the Word of God says. It says, uh, above it, meaning the, the throne. Uh, it, well, let me back up. And, and his train filled the temple. That train fin, uh, speaks of his royalty. It's probably purple, maybe. If there's a woman in a wedding, it would be white. But it would be royal because he is king. And look at what a great thing it says. His train filled the temple. You say, what's that speak of, preacher? Well, it speaks of how exalted he is. How great he is. Listen, listen. I've already told you. I'm going to tell you again. He's not a God among many. He's a God above all other gods. In fact, there are no other gods. Look at his person in verse 3. One cried unto another, said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. Not only, friend, is he royalty, but he is holy. And look, 
Holiness for the children of God is not an option. First Peter chapter 1, long about verse 10, it declares, I am holy, be ye holy. God didn't save us so that we can continue in sin. He saved us from. We such were some of you. We are not to fashion ourselves according to the former lusts. We are to come out from among the world, although we're in the world. We're not of the world. Is this clear enough? Is that enough said? We're to be a godly people, a separated people. If we're saved, we are a sanctified people, and we ought to be growing in personal sanctification. We ought to abstain from fornication. We ought to abstain from drunkenness and and drugs and pornography and and drink and uh, stealing and lying and cheating. Do I need to go on? We're not perfect. We will sin. But every day, we ought to sin less. And if nothing else, we ought to definitely desire to sin less. Man, it's a good message, even if I am preaching. Holy. Holy. I can't imagine what it would be like to get before him. I've tried and tried and tried. I'll never forget one time horse sitting. He'd been really, really sick before he died. He told me one time, he said, son, I had a dream. I said, what was it, brother horse? A horse wasn't given to things. He was, he was as conservative and, and, and old-fashioned, traditional in many ways as, as yours truly, if not maybe a little bit more. He said, I dreamed that I was outside a city and the walls were so high I couldn't climb them and couldn't see over them. He said, but I could hear the sweetest music I ever heard and saw the most beautiful lights coming over the top of of those walls of that city that I'd ever seen in my life. And I said, well, what were you doing? He said, I was on my hands and knees crawling around trying to find a way to get in. Oh, I like that. Do you hear me? Thank God. I don't know what it's going to be like to be in front of him. Listen, if we're saved, it'll be glorious. If we're lost, it'll be awful. But listen to me. Every one of us will meet him, not as we perceive him, but as he is. And the seraphims that stood before him, these strange creatures that help protect and preserve the righteousness and the holiness of God, cried, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. You know what I believe they did? They, they cried. They cried, friend, and antiphonally. They cried unto another. I believe, I believe it's sort of like this. And I know what the Bible says, and I believe they, they said that, but I like to use an imagination every now and too. I believe this one on the left said, Holy God the Father. The one in the middle said, Holy God the Son. And the third one said, Holy, the Spirit. They went from one to another. That's what antiphonally means. They, they did it one after another. Hey, the bottom line is God is holy. And in order to be holy, we must see Him as He is. 
You see, you're being redundant today. I'm not offering you an apology either. This is what this message is about, seeing him as he is. And look, let me give you the last one here. I'll move to the next point, his power. Look at verse 4. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. I want to tell you, friend, listen. His voice, the book of Revelation 1 and 10 says, I believe it is, was like the voice of a trumpet. Verse 15 goes on to say his voice was like the sound of many waters. Chapter 19 of the book of Revelation, along about verse 16, says, Out of his mouth cometh a sharp two-edged sword, and with it, friend, he won the greatest battle that uh, the Word of God may speak about, about uh, at a place called Armageddon. In Joel 3.16, he said, uh, A roar out of Zion, speaking out of the one that reigned and ruled there, and that one is Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5. Look at the good sense of the prophet, and I'm almost done. And he began to see Jesus as he was. He looked beyond the earthly king. He looked beyond the king that had sat upon the throne. He looked beyond uh, the man that had died. And he saw the one who could not die. He saw the one who is, was, and always shall be. And he cried, woe is me. Now if you back up in chapter 5 and read, you'll find that when the, there that the prophet was commanded by God to speak woes to the nation of Israel. Can I tell you something? It's easier for all of us to look at somebody else and say, whoa, 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 about you. I can say that easy about you, but I'll tell you what, it's not so easy to say that about me. But listen, when we see God as He is, then that means we'll see us as we are, and then you know what likely we'll say is, woe is me. Are y'all getting this? You said, well, what's going to my heart? Well, I'm glad. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not aiming at your toes. I'm aiming at your heart. This ought to be penetrating. It ought to be probing. You know what? It ought to bring our needs out to, uh, to where we're honest about it, where we uh, come clean and clear with ourselves, and then with God. And it's then when we see God as he is, high and lifted up as he is, that we'll be willing and able to go beyond the petty stuff that we deal with in our life to those great things, those deep things that we know are there, those things that sometimes or off time hinders us to be what we ought to be. And we've been afraid to be honest. Have you ever been afraid to be honest with yourself? Anybody else but me? You bunch of chickens. I'm not afraid to be that way anymore, but I know what in my earlier Christian life, I was scared. You say, why? Because I knew there were things in T.K. Price's life that needed to get out of T.K. Price's life. Now, I don't know if you'll be that honest, but I'm going to be. I was so young in the Lord, I didn't know how to get rid of it. I was still so young in the Lord, I was more carnal than I needed to be. And to be honest, let's be honest. Anybody ever want to be honest with me? Say amen. I didn't want to get rid of some of them. Now, you've never heard a preacher be any more honest than that. Shamed of it? Yeah, I am now. But I told you I was young and dumb. I was immature. 
I, the, you know, look, I'm not like that now. There isn't a thing that, that the Lord know, doesn't know about me. He always knew it. I just didn't understand how he knew it now. I just say, Lord, here it is. This is what it is. And where it's at, I need your help because I can't handle it. We need to do that with him. We need to get down to where, friend, we just like and we just like Isaiah did, just come to good senses. And look, I'm closing on this. Look at verses 6 and 7. And then flew one of the seraphims unto me. Look back up in verse 1, would you? Look what he said there uh, in, the first, in the first sentence. In the year the king Isaiah died. Who's that next? Say it. Let's do it again. One, two, three, say it. In the year king Uzziah died, what's the next word? Thank you. See how personal this is? Look at what he said in verse, in verse 7. Then flew one of the seraphims unto, say it with me, me. See, if we don't get honest with ourselves, we don't get personal about this, nothing will change. I told you, I've told you this before. One of the sweetest men I ever knew, his name is John Moore. He's, he's gone to be with the Lord a long time ago. Great man, wasn't he, Debbie? He was a deacon of the church that I got called to preach in and Went to was just a, just a, just a, just an old boy, knew his family. David and I went to school with him. Graduated with twins, lovely man. I first started preaching. He'd sit right there in the first row, right there in front of where Jesse and her friend is, and she'd sit on. He'd sit right on that seat next to the aisle. And he said, "Boy, I was watching you preach tonight." He said, "That was a good message." He said, "I got really troubled there one time." He said, "I saw you wind up." And he said, I heard what you said, and it looked like you were throwing a baseball right at me. I thought it was coming right towards me. He said, but you know what? You must do a curve, because when it got right in front of me, it dodged me and hit that fellow in the back. <laughs> that's the way we want to do. Somewhere or another, we think, well, that's not for me. It's for them. We've got to be serious. We've got to be honest. Look at the solution. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar and he laid it upon my mouth and said lo this touched thy lips and thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin purged now this was this was actual it was real for Isaiah but it's picturesque it's typical for us that coal come off of of an altar it's called the altar the brazen altar where where a fire was continually burning where sacrifices were continually made morning and evening plus the other extra special ones that God had commanded them to make. Come on, Judy. And you know what? The angel, one of those seraphims, got a tong, got one of the coals. Now listen to this. It was still red. It was still hot. But you know what that coal was a picture of? It was a picture of a consumed sacrifice. Ashes and coals are remnants or leftovers of something being consumed. And listen, friend. Look, the only way to deal with our sin, sinner or saint alike, is through what Christ did at Calvary when he suffered, when he bled, when he died, when he offered himself a sacrifice, not for his sin, but my sin and your sin and the sin of all the world. He did that to pay my debt. He did that to change me from a sinner into a saint. He did that to deliver me out of the kingdom of darkness, put me in the kingdom of light. He did that to get me off the road to hell and on my way to heaven. He did that to make me a new creature in Christ and become a partaker of the divine nature of God. And I praise him for that. Some people say they're not able to see God. Can I tell you what I think when I hear them say that? I don't see how you can miss him. 
I mean, I look. I, I see the fingerprint of Almighty God in His creation everywhere I look. And I'm not, I'm not real smart. Y'all could all say amen to that. But I'm smart enough to trust Him. Smart enough to believe that He is. Smart enough to ask Him to save me. I've got several degrees. I'm still dumber than a box of rocks. But the best degree I got was April 23rd, 1974 when I got a B.A., born again degree. Not a bachelor's of anything. It's a B.A. I could have put B.F. B, see, B.F.A. That'd be it. Born from above. That'd be it. B.F.A. You know, you get around preachers. Man, they, they're kind of they're like a, they're kind of like a, uh, what do you call it? A traffic jam. Y'all, anybody been in a traffic jam? You know what? You know what happens in a traffic jam? Everybody blows their horn, tries to get out front. That's the way preachers are a lot of times. They toot their own horn, try, and, and they'll say, well, you know, where'd you go to school at, or what kind of degree you got? You know, next time I think Josh, I'll say if I can think of it, a BFA. That's oh, I, man, that's great. You know, they try to act like they don't want you to think that you're smarter than them, and you know, they'll they'll they go off, and then somebody will finally, could you tell me privately? Do you tell me what a BFA is? Preachers are strange creatures. Hey, but listen, thank God for them. All of us. I'll say it again. I've done said it three times, but I'm intensely saying it again. All of us, saved, unsaved, on your way to heaven, on your way to hell, we're all headed for eternity, and we've got to go by the judgment seat on our way. We're all going to stand before him. This God, right here we see in the Word of God, in the book of Isaiah, high and lifted up, royal, powerful, holy, the God of the Bible, the one true God, not the God of our imagination, not the God that we want Him to be, the God that He is. So look, here's the, here's the invitation. Brother, sister, you that are saved, everybody in here safe, say amen. Thank you. Listen. If you desire to be right, if you desire to be right in the kind of father, mother, brother, sister, son, or daughter, pastor, teacher, husband, wife, board member that you want to be, you know what you've got to do? You've got to improve your vision. You've got to see God as He is, not as you think that He is. You've got to see Him clearly. When we see him clearly, we'll see ourselves the right way. And when we do, you know what we'll do? Listen now, please listen. We'll not run from him. We'll run to him. Sinner friend, he wants you to see him as he is, but you're spiritually blind. You know what I encourage you to do today? To do what a man, the Bible called Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, that was in the city of Jericho one day when Jesus was on his way to Calvary. And when he passed by, old Bartimaeus heard that Jesus, the son of David, was passing by and began to call out to him. When Jesus stopped the procession, brought Bartimaeus to him, he said, Bartimaeus, what would you have me to do? Bartimaeus told him, he said, look, that I might receive my sight. Every head.